John chapter 17, beginning in verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, Westside. We are glad that you're here today. And if it's your first time here, welcome. Uh, you are here on a great Sunday um, as we are starting a new sermon series entitled The Prayers of Jesus. And um, as praying and just seeking the Lord as to what to do next after we finished our Axiom series and walked through some of those axioms to give us handles um, in our everyday life and truths to tell ourselves in a broken world, um, praying and seeking the Lord, asking what he would have us to study next, um, I just felt sort of an inclination and an impression uh, that the Lord told me, um, you need to teach what you're doing now um, while I was in prayer. Because I don't know about you, but with everything going on um, in the world in general, and then I don't know about you, but there's a lot even going on in my own life, and I'm sure there's a lot going on in yours, um, we need to understand what it is uh, to, to pray and what it is uh, to pursue and to seek the Lord in prayer. And um, just, just at the beginning of this series, there's been a few resources that have been extremely helpful. Um, and the first one is this. You'll hear a lot of uh, me quote from Pastor Timothy Keller um, on his book on prayer. And so this is a bigger book, but this is, uh, dives into the theology of prayer. Um, I, I mean, it's, it's very helpful. And then even at the end, he gives sort of a, a, a pattern of prayer and a schedule for you on some things like that. So if you're looking for a book to read over the holidays and sort of follow along, in the series, I would highly, highly recommend this book. Um, but secondly, there is a book by uh, a guy by the name of Andrew Murray that you're going to hear a lot from. And very rarely do I ever, um, probably only three times in my life, have I ever read a book, finished it, uh, and then started it again. And um, I did that uh, with his book, With Christ in the School of Prayer. And at the end of every chapter, he writes a prayer summary of that chapter. And so just in maybe time for, for devotional reading, just for a few minutes in the morning, the chapters aren't very long, but I would highly, highly recommend this book to you um, just because always in a series, it's never, oh no, what do I need to say? Um, it's always, oh no, um, there's so much here. What, what do I need to leave out? <laughs> and so these two resources would just be um, incredible for you to follow along with us in this series. Um, I want to start here. And if you talk to any counselor, um, any marriage specialist, if you um, read anything about what it is to have relationships in a family unit or anything like that, there's always um, a common core issue that a counselor or anybody wants to talk about long before anything else. 
So whether it's marriage, long before the divorce is filed, long before there's discussion of whether it was infidelity, long before we talk about the family unit and what mom and dad did wrong, um, any counselor and any specialist would begin to ask questions about communication. They would begin to say, well, what's communication like in your home? What's communication like in the marriage? Um, Do we talk about what's going on? Do we talk about how we feel? Because very simply put, um, communication is the core of any relationship. Communication is the core, the basis of any relationship. And when it comes to the Bible and the scriptures, the Bible uses relational language to talk about our God. Um, maybe, maybe you're not a Christian, maybe you're a new Christian, and, and you want to know, what is this thing about? What does it mean to be a disciple? What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? Very simply put, the jelly on the bottom shelf is, it is about having a relationship with the creator of the universe. I mean, that's a, that's a profound statement. That's an incredible sentence that I just said. That Christianity is about having a relationship with the God of the universe. And when it comes to our relationship with God, communication um, is just like any other relationship. And, and, and when it comes to Christianity, there's, there's two core primary ways of communication in our relationship with God. Now, these are the primary ways. These are not the only ways, okay? The first one is this, um, the Bible. The Bible is God speaking to us. Just what Pastor Tyler said, um, that quote, that if you want to hear God audibly, read your Bible out loud, right? Um, We don't ever have to guess what God has said about this or about that, God has spoken. As Francis Schaeffer would say, our God is not silent, that God has spoken. And so, yes, does God speak to us in other ways? Absolutely. But the primary way for us as Christians that we know God speaks to us are through the Scriptures, that's why here at Westside, we, we really love the Bible. We don't worship the Bible. We worship the God of the Bible. That's why our service starts with the reading of Scripture. We believe that in this story that God is telling, the very first verse of the Bible says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and God said, let there be light. God speaks And he speaks through the scriptures. Um, But the second way is this, prayer. And prayer is where we speak back to God. So very simply put, in our relationship and when it comes to communication with God, the Bible is God speaking to us and prayer is us speaking back to God. Now, there's times of of silence in prayer where where we listen to God. But when we look in the scriptures through the Psalms, every book of the Bible deals with the prayers of God's people, of of, of, of God listening to the cries 
of his people. And so in this series, we're going to focus on this primary way of communication, of, of us speaking back to God. And a lot of times when it comes to a series on prayer, or if you've been a part or been in church, a series on prayer kind of goes like this. Um, you should pray. The Bible says that you should pray. Jesus prayed. The disciples prayed. Why don't you pray? You don't pray enough. Your life would be so much better if you prayed. You're a horrible Christian. You should pray. So let us pray, right? <laughs> and it's like, okay, you know. And, and listen, I could do that. I could do that today. I could show you all these verses. We could do all of that. And, and, and listen, I could motivate you for um, about two weeks. About two weeks. And what would end up happening is, is you would be praying out of guilt. You would be praying out of sense of obligation. Um, and listen, I want Westside, and I want the people of Westside to pray... Um, out of a heart filled with joy. I want just like in a loving relationship when you can't wait to talk to somebody or share with somebody, I want us to talk to God that way. And, and, and I think the best way that we can do that is, is the way that a lot of people handle a lot of other things. Um, I'm, I'm a fan of sports. Um, I, here's, here's why I'm a fan of sports. I'm a fan of, of, of watching anybody who's great at anything do that thing that they're great at. So it can be somebody picking a banjo, and I'm like, I'm all about that. That is incredible. I just love watching somebody who's a master at a skill do something like that. And, and, and when it comes to sports, there's, there's great athletes. Um, I mean, Michael Phelps, this guy has more gold than Mr. T. I mean, this guy is great at swimming. Um, and, and when it comes to other athletes, Michael Jordan, who has one of the best last names that you could ever simply have, right? Um, I mean, just greatest of all time. When it comes to Tom Brady, I mean, whether he's cheating or not, I don't know. But it, he's great at what he does. I mean, Serena Williams, these people are great at what they do. And, and always, whether it's a sports announcer or anybody that wants to follow in the steps of this athlete in their sport, they always want to know the training camp. They always want to know what is the secret of their success. What do they do? So whether it's finding out LeBron James spends a million and a half dollars a year on his own body and self-care and all of that. Crazy, right? One time in an interview, Tom Brady was like, I don't eat strawberries because they have a lot of sugar in them. I'm like, really? Really? Um, I eat uh, strawberry bluebell ice cream. Okay, right? Um, so it's, it's this idea of what makes them great, and, and how can I do that? Well, um, I believe the greatest life that has ever been lived is Jesus Christ. And, and listen, you, you, even if you're a non-Christian, have to agree with this statement. And, and, and I know that you hate that. But there have never been more songs sung, more books written, more paintings painted, and more buildings built for one person other than Jesus Christ. It is the greatest life that has ever been lived. 
Now, when you look in the scriptures and you see the life of Jesus Christ and all that he accomplished, really, just in three years of ministry, he lived his first 30 years of life just in a small town, working a regular job. Nobody really knew his name. But when you see the greatness of his life, there's something that continually pops up in the scriptures. Um, Mark 1.35 says this, Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. We see this phrase, he prayed, over and over and over and over and over again in the scriptures. I mean... It's even after he feeds the 5,000 with the little kids Lunchable and all of those things, right in these moments when his quote-unquote celebrity status is at its highest, Jesus is constantly withdrawing away from the crowd and going and praying. And then we see this beautiful scene, um, a scene that for me as a preacher, I always keep at the forefront of my ministry, and it's this. One day, Jesus was praying. You're like, goodness gracious, this dude's praying all the time. Exactly, right? One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. Um, the reason why I keep that at the forefront of my mind and my ministry is I always remind myself this. Jesus never taught his disciples how to preach. Jesus never taught his disciples how to call down fire from heaven. Jesus never taught his disciples how to fill in the blank. But Jesus taught his disciples how to pray. But you know what's interesting is they saw Jesus praying and then they asked how to be taught how to pray. Now, here's why this is interesting. Um, a lot of Jesus' followers were Jewish. Jesus was Jewish. And so what's interesting about it is they would have seen people praying. They would have known the Pharisees, the Sadducees. They would have grown up praying in the synagogues. They would have known this idea of prayer wasn't unfamiliar to the followers of Jesus. But here's what stood out. The way that Jesus prayed. The way that Jesus prayed. They saw other people praying, and then they saw Jesus conversating and talking with God, and they said to themselves, we want to pray like that. We want to pray like that. And listen, in this season of what it is for us to, to study the prayers of Jesus, I firmly believe that, that if you lean in during this series... If you press in and if you maybe set aside preconceived notions of what you think prayer is or anything like that, I firmly believe that God can reveal himself to you. And I firmly believe that your life can be changed studying the prayers of Jesus. And so if we could sort of enroll in the school and Jesus be our teacher and we be his students. Um, I love what Robert Murray said this way. 
No one can teach like Jesus. A pupil needs a teacher who knows his work, who has the gift of teaching, who in patience and love will descend to his pupil's needs. Blessed be God. Jesus is all of this and so much more. It is Jesus praying himself who teaches us how to pray. He knows what prayer is. And nothing delights him more than to find those whom he can take with him into the Father's presence, clothing them with power to pray down God's blessing to those around them, training them to be his fellow workers in the intercession by which the kingdom is to be revealed on earth. You see, Jesus never taught his disciples how to preach, only how to pray. To know how to speak to God is more than knowing how to speak to man. Power with God is the first thing, not power with men. Jesus loves to teach us how to pray. So in this series, and very simply, just what I want you to leave with today is this. Following Jesus means praying like Jesus. We cannot be followers of Jesus and not pray like Jesus. So when it comes to our relationship with God, we know that God speaks to us in the scriptures. And we know now that we respond and we speak to God through prayer. So in John chapter 17, we're going to be in it for a couple weeks. Um, John chapter 17 is known as the high priestly prayer. And listen to this. In, In some Christian traditions... Um, they don't even teach from John chapter 17. They just read it out loud because of how profound and how holy the chapter is. It is the longest recorded prayer that we have of Jesus. And in John chapter 17, in those verses, it's divided up in three ways. Um, The first five verses are Jesus praying for himself. And then the following verses are Jesus praying for his current disciples. And then the last section in John 17 is Jesus praying for his future disciples as well. And so in these first five verses, when we enroll in the school of prayer, to be a follower of Jesus means to pray like Jesus. Um, We ask ourselves this question. How do we pray for ourselves? And, And... I know that sounds maybe almost like a little bit selfish. And maybe some of you who have a certain personality type, if you were to look at your prayer life and to look at your journals or anything like that, um, it's always praying for other people. And and yes and amen. Thanks be to God for people like you, okay? Um, I think I'm alive because of people like you, all right, Who, who are constantly praying for other people. But just the illustration that we always use when you're on the airplane and the stewardess says we're getting ready to take off. And in case of an emergency, when the oxygen masks drop down, and if you have someone next to you that you're taking care of, put the oxygen mask on yourself first so then you can take care of somebody else. Um, We're going to learn what it is to pray for ourselves rightly. Not just in this um, sort of, I don't want to say self-centered way, but I think if we were to evaluate our prayers 
And when it comes to praying for ourselves, there's a lot of asking God for things. There's a lot of God, be with them, be with them, be with them. God, could you be with them? The hedge of protection, right? All of these words sort of that we use. But listen to this. Jesus prayed for himself. Like, I've just marinated on that this week. That Jesus prayed for himself. And so, um, if Jesus, um, God in a bod, the second member of the Trinity, who beat sin, death, hell, and, and, and rose from the grave, prayed for himself, um, then we're probably not going to make it if we don't pray for ourselves. Correct? Can we just sort of start there? So I want to look at two simple things in these verses as to what it looks like to pray for ourselves. And you might be surprised. Um, The first thing is this. Focus on who you are praying to, not how you are praying. John chapter 17, verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these things... This is his last night with the disciples. He's just had the last supper with them. Judas is getting ready to betray him. Jesus is hours away from being arrested. He's getting ready to be beat so badly that the scriptures say that you couldn't recognize that he was a human being in his face. I mean, I mean this is it. This is the moment. And after he had spoken these words, he lifted his eyes to heaven and said, there we are, us speaking to God. Father. The very first word. Father. You see, um, when it comes to prayer, I think oftentimes we're, we're sort of like Andy Grace, my, my middle child. Andy Grace, the other day, we were sitting down at the dinner table and we take turns for who's going to pray. And then we use our time at the dinner table as just sort of a family discipleship time. And so either myself or Courtney, we have a few questions that we ask and then they respond with some stuff like that. And by the way, please don't. It doesn't always go that way. So don't, don't be like, wow, look at their family, okay? I mean, most of the time, somebody throws spaghetti at somebody, and it just, okay? So we, just, we try our best to utilize that time. And it was Andy Grace's turn to pray, and she said, um, I, Daddy, don't know what to say. I don't know what to say. How do I say this? What do I do? And so we just always say, Andy Grace, just, just talk to God. And, and I think a lot of times for us as Christians, we, we put ourselves in this mechanical box of prayer. And it, and it has to be God. And oh gracious, thou art thine holiest of thine God. Like, who are you talking to, man? Right? Right? And what Jesus tells us And what we see is um, Jesus says, Father. That's relational language. Jesus lifts his eyes to heaven and says, Father. Jesus says the word Father five times in this prayer. This is the primary word that Jesus uses while in his earthly ministry to refer to God. In the Greek, it is Abba. Abba. 
Now, a lot of times um, there's a ditch on either side of the road, okay? So, so sometimes when it comes to this word Abba, um, we've abused it. And so I've heard guys teach horribly, you know, oh, you know, you can say anything. You can say Papa Bear Daddy Boo. He's just your father, right? Well, okay, hold on. Love your sincerity, but you're wrong. Love your sincerity, though, okay? Um, he lifts his eyes to heaven. When Jesus teaches us to pray, he says, Our Father who art in heaven. So yes, Abba means Father. It's an intimate term. But it's also our Father who is in heaven. Okay? So it's this grand, glorious term. And we've forgotten how controversial this is. I mean, this phrase... For Jesus to say, Father, well, I'll just read it to you. Um, in John chapter 5, verse 18, that was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. By the way, um, we worship a man who was murdered. Just, you know, so if you feel like it's tough to be a Christian right now, great. You're probably doing something right. Because we worship a man who was murdered. And he wasn't murdered for raising people from the dead or um, making blind people see. It says this, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, dun, 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 right? Jesus healed somebody on the Sabbath. And the religious people were like, um, you can't do that. It's the Sabbath. And Jesus was like, he's crippled. And they were like, yeah, well, we have rules, man. Here's, here's my great fear. Um, there's this religiosity when it comes to Christianity that is anti-Christ. It's anti-Christian. And especially when it comes to the world of prayer. Listen, if you think prayer is more about rules than it is relationship, you have prayer wrong. Prayer is so much more about relationship than it is rules. And so Jesus is breaking the rules and they can't even deal with it. And then this, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. That's it. You want to know what nailed Jesus to the cross? One word, father. You see, in the Old Testament, what we always saw the people of God praying was any time they would ever refer to God as Father, it was always Father of like a nation, Father of creation, or something like that. Never, never did anybody dare to think that they could refer to the God of the universe as their own personal Father. And when it comes to religions, um, let's just take the, the three big religions, the Abrahamic religions, if you will. When it comes to Judaism, when it comes to Islam, and when it comes to Christianity. Christianity is separate and distinct from all other religions in the world. And it's primarily because of that one word, Father. Um, Whenever I had first gotten saved, we were volunteering at my dad's church, and I had a great passion for the students, and then found myself in student ministry. And so uh, we accepted a position up in St. Louis in South County at a church, and I was on staff as a student pastor. 
And one of the things that I didn't know was St. Louis in the late 80s and early 90s was a, um, South County uh, specifically, was a Bosnian refugee place for a lot of people who had come over during the war and everything that was going on in Bosnia. And so all of these kids who started coming to our youth group, I would never see their parents. They were of a certain ethnicity. And they would ask all of these questions about Jesus. And anytime we would pray, sometimes they wouldn't participate in things. And come to find out, they were Islamic. That was the dominant religion there, was Islam. And so I did what I only know to do is once we had these students and I was finding some of these things out, I just started reading and studying about this. And one of the things that I came across was profound. I was reading the book, Answering Islam, The Crescent in Light of the Cross. And it's a phenomenal book that compares and contrasts Islam and Christianity. And by the way, a lot of Christians don't know that somebody of the Islamic faith could use your very own Bible to explain their religion. Because it comes, what they would say, from Abraham. He's in our Bible as well. Remember, Father Abraham had many sons. Remember that one, right? Um, when I got to the section of prayer, in their prayer time, they have 99 specific names that they pray to Allah. And they're pretty profound names. Majestic and mighty. The maker. The knowing one. The pardoner. The initiator. Um, the, the wide-reaching master whose bounty reaches all. And it gives all of the scripture references from the Quran. And as I read through all of it, um, there was one name that was missing. Out of 99 names, never once is the name Father ever mentioned. And so what I started doing was explaining and talking about what a relationship with God is like and who Jesus is and having access to God the Father through the Son, Jesus Christ. And we baptized a number of those kids and it became such a controversy for some of them in their homes that they would have to, God, you know, God forgive me, they would have to lie and say they were going to basketball practice in order to come to youth group because their family would disown them. And they were asking, is that okay to lie and come to youth group? And I said, yes, yes and amen. Ra, I want you here. But see, we don't understand how controversial this is. Listen, God is creator. God is sustainer. But listen to me, the basis, the privilege that we have as Christians, the privilege to call God Father was paid for by the Son, Jesus Christ. You see, listen, God intended for the relationship to be that way, and sin separated us from God. That's why our first parents, Adam and Eve, were banished from the garden, symbolizing that, that sin separates the relationship. 
And God constantly says, I'm going to fix the relationship. And we see through the person of Jesus Christ that God comes and makes a way when there was no way so we could have access to God and have that relationship. Listen, that's why everything, it's not a tagline, it's not a slogan, it is our doctrinal statement that everything is all about Jesus. Everything is about Jesus. And to come to God in prayer, the privilege that we have to call God our Father was paid for by Jesus Christ. That's why we're going to learn later on in the series. If your kids have ever asked you, why do we say in Jesus' name? Because we have access to God only through the Son. So our prayers... It's just like a check, and signing that check in order to cash it, you put a name on that. And at the end of our prayers, we put the name of Jesus. That that privilege, that privilege was paid for. So, how does this affect our prayer lives? What does this mean, Jason? This, this seems mighty doctrinal and theological. Yes, it does. And it's so important to understand that. How does this affect our prayer lives and the boots on the ground, how we pray to God? I'll never forget hearing a pastor tell this story. He was in an airport, and he was in a large city, and he heard a sound, and all of a sudden there was a group of people um, who seemed to be very religious. There was a sound, and they get out prayer rugs, and they kneel down, and they do this prayer and these chants and they do everything. And, and, and listen, I'm not trying to be disrespectful. I'm just telling the story. They explained or, or, or they showed um, mighty prayer going through this routine. And he said, like, everybody sort of stopped and watched what they were doing. And one lady leaned over to him and said, wow, look at that prayer life. They are so devoted and he said immediately after she said that, he looked over to the other side of the airport, and there was a dad there. There was a dad with six children getting ready to board a plane. Six children. He said, you know, he was like, I just said a prayer for that guy real quick, right? And he said there was the car seat there, and so this dad looked like a great dad, and he had to get down on his knee to talk to one of the kids, and some of the kids were saying, hey, dad, can we go over here and do this? And hey, dad, can we go over here and do that? And he was going, yeah, let's do that, yeah, let's do that. And he said just, he had an inkling and an impression from the Spirit of God that said this, um, everybody thinks that I want that type of prayer, the religious prayer. But he said prayer's actually more like that. Prayer's more like that. Kids who know that they're loved by their father, asking their dad for things in the context of a loving relationship. Listen, focus on who you are praying to, not, not how you're praying. We'll get to all of those things. But listen, here's what I'm trying to say. The basis of prayer the basis of prayer is focusing on God as a loving father and you and you as his beloved child, you as his beloved son or daughter. That's why there is nothing as devastating and distorting to the gospel 
as a broken earthly relationship with your earthly father. And can I just, just for a moment speak to the men? Um, there is no way to ignore looking at the scriptures, this relational language of father and child. That's why... Um, 60% of kids who go to bed tonight will go to bed in a home without their biological father. And listen, here's what I'm saying, just speaking to the men for a moment. I believe as men go, so goes the society. I believe that we need less government and we need better men. I believe that the future of the church depends on healthy men. And if that aggravates you a little bit, you probably have a problem with men and we're trying to fix that. That's what I'm saying, okay? There's nothing, listen to me, there's nothing more devastating than a man who doesn't know his purpose. And so one of the things that you're going to be hearing more about and something that we're deeply invested in is starting in the month of January on Wednesday nights at 6.30, we're going to be starting Westside Men. Because what we need is we need men leading men. And please listen, this is not a place, um, as we were trained to say, this is not a place where you're going to get beat up. This is a place where you're going to get built up. This is a place where men can come together and pray for each other and hear from God's word and know the struggle of what it is. Listen, I'm so amazed at all these men who have so much free time on their hands. I mean, when it comes to hold down a job, when it comes to love, of a woman for 30 years when it comes to be a good dad. As one preacher told me, men should go to bed exhausted at night, wrung out for the glory of God as to what it is to lead out in your home. So please be in prayer for this ministry. Because I believe that we're going to see some real things change. That I believe that we can change Popper Bluff, that we can change families, and we can change homes when men understand their role. So what is it to follow Jesus? It's to pray like Jesus. And what is it to understand who you're praying to? To know God as Father. And listen, for you as a beloved child, did you know that when God looks at you for somebody who's given their life to Christ, he sees you. He sees you as his own. I'll never forget driving home from the hospital after we had had Roman, after my wife had had Roman and done a really good job at it. Um, I told her that scene from uh, Rocky, you know, whenever Rocky turns to Adrian and goes, yo, I mean, Adrian, you've done real good. You've done all the work, you know. Um, my, our parents were in the car and I remember unloading Roman and then getting in the house. I remember turning to my dad. I just said, you love me this much? You love me this much? It's a thing that you don't know until it happens. Listen, that love that you have for your children... That's, that's an imperfect love. That's an imperfect love. God loves you with a perfect love. That, that is the basis of prayer. Don't come to me with some big hush and belay and we got to do this and all that. Listen, I don't have time for that. What I want you to know is I want you to know that God loves you as a beloved child. That it starts there. 
Focus on who you're praying to, not how you're praying. And then the second thing is this. God's glory. God's glory is the goal of prayer. That's the goal. Um, we're still in the first verse. Father, the hour has come. This is um, the hour in John's gospel. This is Jesus to be delivered over and crucified. We see earlier in the gospel of Jesus saying, my hour has not yet come. My hour has not yet come. Now the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. Um, we see this term glory used five times in five verses. In the first five verses of John 17, the word glory or glorify is used five times. Now, I'm a simple man. I went to public school and the butter slides off my biscuit all the time, but I'm pretty sure God's trying to tell us something about prayer and what that means when glory is used five times. What, what does this mean? I mean, it's not something that we use, you know, all the time. Like, man, you know, I, today, glory. Or, I mean, we just don't use that word. Um, the word in the original literally means, like, weightiness. It means, like, weightiness. And this is something that you have to understand in the Scriptures. That the point is God's glory. That what God is pursuing is that his glory would be known. And, and listen, um, as wet is to water, as heat is to fire, as light is to a bulb, so glory is to God. Glory is what emanates from God. It is his fingerprint. Everything that he touches is glory. It is what the human heart longs for. That's why at the edge of a mountain or looking at the oceans or holding a newborn baby, when you feel small in those moments or when you're in a stadium and you're hearing people sing, in those moments it is something that is transcendent. You feel for a moment that you're small and there's something that is bigger than you. That is glory. That is God. God shouting at you that you were made for something. And long before third day ever sang the song, Show Me Your Glory, Moses in the book of Exodus asked God, Show me your glory. And God said, Nobody can look upon my glory and live. So God put him in the cleft of a mountain and passed by. And Moses saw just a glimpse of God's glory. And it said that his face shown for like three or four days, the original FaceTime. I mean, it was incredible to see that. In Psalm chapter 19, verse 1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, the sky above his handiwork. Listen, God's glory is the goal. Here's the way that I always explain it. Everything in creation. Psalm 19:1, The heavens declare the glory of God, the sky above his handiwork. Everything in the universe and the world is pointing to God. It's his glory. That's the whole point. It's pointing up at something. That's why the way that we use money, I'm a simple man, I need a foam finger, okay? Listen, that's why the way that we use money, we say, use money to glorify God. What does that mean? Use your money to point to something beyond you. 
Listen, here's what I'm trying to say. The point of your life is to point to Jesus. And man, I sure wish that I had a giant sign behind me that said glorify that was lit up, right? Listen, the point of this church is to point to Jesus. It's the point of everything. Do you know what the greatest sin is? The great sin is to steal God's glory. God's not sharing his glory. That's why your life is supposed to look like this, not this. It's not supposed to be about you. There's a funny story that's told. Um, whenever the soldiers were coming back from the Great War, Joe DiMaggio, the great Yankee, wanted to take his son to a New York Yankees game after he had been overseas. And so the Yankees were having a game, and Joe DiMaggio slips in with his little boy, and they sit in the top of the rafters. And obviously, people sitting around are going, that's Joe DiMaggio. I mean, one of the greatest baseball players who have ever lived. And so um, commotion sort of starts to happen, and then people start chanting, Joe, 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 Joe. And Joe DiMaggio's little boy turns around to him and says, See, Daddy, everybody knows my name. <laughs> he was Joe DiMaggio Jr. See, Daddy, everybody knows my name. Um, he was mistaken. The chants weren't for him. The chants were for his daddy. Don't be mistaken. Every good gift comes from the Father of lights. And everything in your life, everything in your life has been given to you so that God may be glorified. So what does this look like? How do we pursue God's glory in prayer? Jesus, I mean, this is the driving force. The relational connection is there. God, Abba, Father. And then the primary thing to pray for ourselves is that our life would glorify God. Well, how do we do that? Well, the first thing is this. Um, praying for people to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Look at what he says there in verse 2. He lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh, here it is, to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. Well, what's eternal life? Glad you asked. Verse 3. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. That's what it is to pursue God's glory in prayer. To pray that your life would glorify God in praying that people would come to know God. Um, there's a question that an old Puritan would always ask, and it terrifies me. But he says this, if God answered all of your prayers from yesterday... How many people would be saved today? If God answered all of your prayers from yesterday, how many people would be saved today? I mean, it puts things in perspective for us. And I don't know about you, but um, I'm standing here today, 
And I'm alive today because of a mother, because of a father, because of a family and a church family that prayed for me. Please listen to me. If you're a mom, if you're a grandma, if you're praying for that baby, and if you're praying for those kids, please listen to me. Don't give up. Don't give up. Please pursue God's glory in prayer. And please pray for those children. Pray for those co-workers. Pray for that boss. Pray for this nation. Pray for people to come to know Jesus. This is what it's all about. This is the whole point. This is why we exist. For people to be transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. This is what it is to pursue God's glory. And then the second thing is this. Praying that you would be obedient to God's will found in God's word. Look at what Jesus says there in verse 4. I glorified you on earth having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Jesus knew what his purpose was on the earth. And, 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 and we always see people wanting Jesus to do good things. Hey, this is good. This isn't even in my notes. But one of the things that's important to understand is the difference between a good thing and a God thing. A good thing and a God thing. You might have an opportunity placed in front of you right now that is a good thing. It's a good thing. But it's not a God thing. It's not a God thing. And what Jesus knew is that he had some work to accomplish, that he had uh, to live this obedient life, and he did. And listen, for us as Christians, we don't, some of us grew up with God's will being taught to us almost like a fairy unicorn running around. Like we had no idea what it was. Like, well, I just pray that I'm in God's will. Just pray that I'm in God's will. And, you know, Chevy or Ford just want to know what God's will is, you know. And we all know that God's will. No, I have no idea, okay? Like, that's not, God's not concerned about those things. What we understand God's will is, is God's will is God's word. So what is God's will for your life? Is to love him and to love your neighbor as yourself. How are we doing with that? How are we doing with God's will so far? And, and, and what it is, is to pursue and to ask God that you would be obedient in that. Listen, the abundant life is the obedient life. And how would our lives change if our prayers for ourselves was first and foremost knowing that we're talking to our Heavenly Father who is a perfect Father who wants to give His kids good things. And then secondly for us to be obedient, what would your life look like that if you started your week tomorrow praying, God, I want to be obedient to your word. I want to be obedient to your word. Listen, what we're saying is following Jesus means praying like Jesus. In closing, I want to tell you this. There, I have a goal in this series, and I experienced it yesterday. Um, we went hiking with our kids, and we, we love going and exploring. And we went down to um, Lost Creek, sort of up by the lake, Wapapella over there. And our kids were running around, and we were exploring. And Piper Graham is our youngest. She's the baby. 
and she loves being the baby, okay? I mean, she soaks it up and loves it. And when we were walking on the trail, she absolutely hates it when her brothers and sister get in front of her. She wants to lead. She, Bubby and Sissy keep getting in front of me. They keep getting in front of me. So what she likes to do is she likes for me to hold her hand while we walk on the trail so Bubby and Sissy can't get in front of her, okay? And so as we're holding hands walking on the trail, she then says, Daddy, can you hold me? Can you hold me? She was wearing these five-pound, you know, muck boots or something like that. Daddy, can you hold me? So I picked her up and I held her, and it dawned on me. I just felt the Spirit of God ask, was she your daughter when you were holding her hand? Uh, yeah. Yeah, she was my daughter walking next to me on the trail. Then I felt the impression, but she experienced being your daughter when you picked her up and held her in a different way. That's prayer. Prayer is experiencing what it is for God to be our Father. In prayer, it's, it's God picking us up and embracing us and experiencing what that is. So in this series, I believe if we lean in, I believe we're going to know who God is in a whole new way. I believe that some people are going to come to saving knowledge of Jesus Christ who didn't know Jesus. But more than anything, I think you are going to experience what it is to be a beloved child of God. So Westside, would you stand to your feet and let us very simply practice what we have preached and learned today. And let us lift our voices out loud and pray how Jesus taught us to pray. And when we get to that part, our Father, may that drop from our head to our hearts. Westside, lift our voices and let us pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespassed against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Heavenly Father, Father, God as our Father, we come before you as needy children. There's so much that we need in this broken world. God, as the song sang, our hearts are heavy laden. And I just pray today for those of us who have burdens, God, that we come to you as little children and we're asking you for some things. But may we experience you as our Father today. And God, may your glory, may your glory fill this place, Jesus. Oh God, may your glory fill our lives. May we see just a glimpse. May we experience it in a way that we never have before. Holy Spirit, have your way with us. And we pray all of these things in the Son's name, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.